Hello, and welcome to the Bloodstream Podcast, a show serving the greater bleeding disorders community brought to you by Believe Limited and Bloodstream Media and made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. I am your patient advocate and host, Patrick James Lynch. And I am your healthcare advocate, nonprofit nerd, and your other host, Amy Board, reminding you to please speak with a healthcare professional before making any treatment decisions. On today's show, it's that time of year to give thanks and put some thought into what we are grateful for. And so Amy and I are going to do just that. Yay! And we've got another I'm Fine segment, this time on the dark side of resilience. Which is cool. Yeah, it sounds like a movie. I know, I know. I think I'd watch that movie. movie. I don't know what it's about, but I'm into it. (laughs) Lastly, we have our latest Elite Athletes segment, this time featuring Olav Versloot. I love Olav, and I hope you do too. We've got all that and more on this episode. Welcome to Bloodstream. Hey, listeners, thank you again, as always, for joining us today. And if you like what you here, please share this episode on social media and subscribe to Bloodstream wherever you get your podcasts. We are grateful for your doing that. I also want to remind you, dear listeners, that the Bloodstream podcast is made possible by our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Yes, that's right, Takeda. Takeda's got this website, bleedingdisorders.com, where you can learn all about Takeda's resources for and commitment to the bleeding disorders community. Amy, Takeda believes in a world free of bleeds. Yes. And they are dedicated more than ever in their efforts to offer a wide range of programs and support to help patients throughout their treatment journey, wherever on that journey they may be. You can learn more by simply visiting bleedingdisorders.com. One more time, that's bleedingdisorders.com. And for their founding and ongoing support of the Bloodstream podcast, I would like to express gratitude and just say... Thanks, Takeda. Thank you, Takeda. Happy day after Thanksgiving, PJL. Happy day after Thanksgiving, Amy Board, in the future. <laughs> in the future. We're not recording this we today. We did not come in after our Black Friday madness no. to record this. We did record this ahead of time. We did not. But I uh, have a surprise for you today, and oh, I thought it would okay. be fun. I'm anxious already. I thought it would be fun to play a little gratitude game. Okay, she's shaking a bowl with paper in it. That's what you're hearing. Yeah, so I have... So I thought it would be fun if we just went back and forth just for a, a little bit to uh, a play a game, put <laughs> okay. us both on the spot. Great. And I have some just like categories of life here. Okay. And uh, we can go back and forth and pick one out of the jar uh-huh. and say what you're grateful for with that aspect of life. Oh, wow. All right. And the game is starting now. The game is starting now. Okay. I thought it would be, I thought it would be fun. Wow. This is uh they're colored paper. Everybody. They are colored. This one's yellow. I'm going to go with the yellow one. Okay. I hope this is a good one. Oh my God. Okay. So what are you thankful for in terms of family? Family. Wow. That was a big one. Very appropriate. What I am grateful for in terms of family. Well, I will say that uh, having spent more time this year as a family in Cleveland so that my daughter Vivian could be around her cousin and her grandparents and around more family and um, making some big decisions this year to support our being in Cleveland more often, I am grateful that my daughter has such a robust family network Mm. that she will always belong to regardless Mm. of anything else. Um, That's what comes to mind. That's really lovely. Yeah. That's really lovely. So I try to beat that. I'm grateful for Vivian. I think Vivian is a rock star. Thank you. Love that little bean. I haven't seen her in a while. Uh, she's doing like a lot of the same stuff. Crushing? Yeah, mostly, you know, eating a, <laughs> eating the same kind of stuff. She's hilarious, though. She's getting funnier and funnier. Yes. Also, her new thing is, um, is telling you that she's well instead of good. 
Um, but Who then she also used grammar. Well, she also uses it incorrectly too, because it'd be like you know, um, <laughs> how's your juice? She'd be like, it's well. It's well. And I'd be like, oh, it's good. She goes, it's well. Uh. Like even when you correct her, she recorrects you. <laughs> so I'm not sure how we end that cycle, no, but it's for incredible. now she's just calling everything well, and everything is well, and everyone's a her. <laughs> I don't know if she's just yes, way advanced feminism. on the pronoun game yes. or what, but I, I've been a she/her for quite a while in my yes. house, as has Russell. <laughs> yes. And we just lean into it. We're good with it. Does she still like curate her outfits and her purses? Oh my God, it's gotten more pronounced. Yes, and she gets very, very proud to show them off. Oh, she yeah, it's like a whole thing, and now there's pigtails that are involved. And uh, yeah, she's uh, she's her own full person, just Baby tiny. Button. I miss her. I miss her. We, she, you need to bring her around. I, I miss would, I miss Vivian B. I'll try to get her through here. You have an orange piece of paper. I do. Uh, this drum roll, please. What I am grateful for in terms of, ooh, this is a good one, mental health. Okay. <laughs> What's That's that? That's a loaded cannon. Yeah, good luck. So I guess this year I am grateful in terms of mental health. Um, honestly, I think I have, as, as one grows older and puts a lot of... Um, I think time into trying to understand mental health issues. I, I have I have fairly um, clinical significant anxiety mm. that has not been uh, wasn't diagnosed. I think when I was a child, we didn't we didn't even have that word. We just didn't have right. that word, you know, really utilized. And so it has been a relatively new, like within the last five years, like realizing, like, oh, this is an actual. This is an actual thing. Mm. And there's been a lot of, I think, people dealing with mental health stuff. And and this goes for everybody. I really, truly, I think it's like a just a wave of things. I have realized um, for my anxiety in particular, I don't, it's never going to go away. It, it is how my body in particular mm. has learned to respond to certain things and understanding the trigger, the triggers are never going to go away because right. life will never go away. Right. So it's really trying to, I think, um, put words to how do I, I manage it also with the idea of like, oh, it's never going to go away. And so when it happens, it's an indicator that something's, um, off. This is how my body is responding. I unfortunately have very physical symptoms of anxiety. So I don't, mm. it's not, um, a lot of times it's not racing in my head. It's like physical ill in my stomach. I feel like those butterflies there and it's just, um, it just paralyzes me a little bit. I just stop. It, yeah. It's, it's really difficult. And this year in particular, when it comes to, um, that in my, and my mental health, I have, been I've I've been grateful that I have been able to I think tackle it with um like basic need type things how do you mean I um because it makes me paralyzed I tend to um shut down a little bit mm. and um <laughs> this sounds so silly but um uh, making sure I eat small meals to, so my stomach is never empty that helps mm. a lot. That's why is that doesn't makes a lot of sense. Why is that silly? I don't know. It's but but just to to like okay, I'm anxious. I I need to eat something that is substantial. That's not crap. Yeah, is something that helps. Um, going to in particular yoga class is something that is very mm. helpful. And to prioritize that and to kind of stop everything and do that is something that's very helpful. Our Producer Keith and I actually had a conversation about this recently about 
working out in a way that's not, <laughs> I don't really feel it's for, you know, like working out. I really do believe it's like a, like a, almost like a recharge, like mm. unplugging your computer and plugging it back in mm. type of thing. And to utilize that, um, especially not, not just regularly, but like when I feel it, like, I think it would be good for me to do that. That's, that's really been important. And mm. then to, to actually put it into words, to talk to either my friends or my partner of like, I am anxious. This is why. And actually like put it out there has been really helpful. Mm. And then honestly, medication. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Sneak that one in there at the end. <laughs> also, I, uh, yes. This year I've, I have, I have understood this year after some ups and downs, I was like, it's 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 bad enough. Mine is bad enough physically that I think I'm going to have to be on medication probably for the long term. And it's not that deep. The the medication part it doesn't make me feel different. It doesn't have a lot of side effects. Yeah. Um. And it's just it helps it not be prolonged. Yeah. Yeah. So anyway, I, it's been it's been like a good you know. It seems like a lot of insights, a lot of connecting of dots, and yes. like it seems like you have a good grasp on where you are right now. Yeah. And and I've I've tried to Bill Hader has this wonderful thing about his anxiety of like he tries to like oh hey old pal here you are. You know, mm. like you're here. And that and that has that mentality has sat with me well because it's like this isn't going to go away. This is how my body responds to things. It's 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 like this is how my body responds to things. And all of the quote unquote therapy, which has been wonderful to figure out like, oh, this is why this is what happened to me throughout the course of my life, hasn't taken it away. That is something I hope <clears throat> listeners um, appreciate, if not identify with, because I have voiced this very frustration uh, in and out of therapy for the last year plus that, okay, I've got all these insights and I may have even talked about this before in the podcast, apologies if I'm repeating myself, but I have all these insights, great. It's not changing how I feel. It's not changing my lived experience. So, oh, when I was six and you know this relative said this thing and this happened, got it. That has something to do with when I receive these kinds of messages as an adult and okay, I would like this to stop happening though. So when does the insight, and what I've realized, at least for me, I'm not a mental health professional, is that, okay, the insights, critical, but it's sort of like step one is awareness. Like it's not the whole thing. The next thing is that core beliefs and habituated behaviors need to be impacted by the new insights. Yeah. And until yes. that happens, then it is just this like cerebral, I'm like more academically, intellectually smart about my characteristics, but I'm yeah. not actually living differently or experiencing differently. I can right. just intellectualize about it now right. and that's not very rewarding it doesn't help in moments of crisis to be like i know what's happening it's like okay but if it doesn't change then how valuable is that so right. i i have i've been thinking a lot about parts work which you reminded me of as you were just talking about like hello old friend you know this idea that we're all made up of many parts and so there is this you know, hurt child part of me that can poke up and is like, hello, I need a hug. And then there's, you know, an authoritarian, ambitious part of me that's trying to drive towards something. And that can sometimes want to have voice. And then there's this anxious part of me that worries about things because I care and because of whatever. But they're all parts. They're all true. And it's like I talk about with identity and my brother's story and the importance of us with life-threatening chronic illnesses, chronic illnesses, to remember that while we are not defined by these things, they are part of us and we are all made up of many parts. 
we have to accept the parts we're made up of and they may never change. It's not about yeah. trying to change the parts. Your old anxiety friend might always be hanging out, coming up and visiting you on your shoulder and causing like indigestion or whatever. <laughs> and my stress is going to create hives and, and, and come up and my panic is going to come in. And it's a matter of learning to change the way in which we consciously respond to those moments so that over time, the patterns of behavior change, those core beliefs are shifted, and there's alignment between those insights, core beliefs, and behaviors. And I think also taking ownership of how that stuff affects the people in our lives. That has been like a huge thing for me of realizing like how my undiagnosed anxiety, I think, affected the people that were closest to me, especially coworkers back in Denver. Um, and, and I, I, you know, that, that, that has been, that has been really helpful of trying to put words to it. And like, um, because it, it won't go away. It's like a core piece and it, it's, you know, it's okay. Yes. And it's just like important to put that ownership there. Yeah. So mental health, baby. Mental health. Wow, these are some powerful pieces of paper. I don't know. You know, okay, let's We're, do this like. This going to be a 45-minute episode. Well, let's do a couple sh- more. 45 minutes, 45 <laughs> hours. 45 is not very long. <laughs> Butchered that one. All right, let me see. I'm going with the yellow theme. I have okay. another yellow piece of paper. Oh God, okay. I just hope you wrote all the good ones on yellow. What are you thankful for in terms of? Roller skates. No, I did not. Oh, I, sorry. I uh, read that wrong. Relationships. Yes. Relationships. What am I grateful for in terms of relationships in 2023? Well, I'm grateful that I have a lot of new relationships in 2023, largely uh, related to w- one particular project that's just in a whole nother world and has, has you know, given me a lot of uh, new relationships in that world and meeting new people and people that share passions of mine that I don't much get to talk about or spend time with prior to this year. And, you know, it was that this project for me this year was a reminder that um, there, I guess it sounds so silly, but like there's pa- there's things I'm passionate about that don't necessarily get a lot of sunshine, but that doesn't mean they don't want it, don't deserve it. That doesn't mean I don't have a lot to offer mm. if that passion can find its way to the sun. Um, but, you know, there's only so much daylight available every day or however I'm going to continue that analogy. So, yeah, this part of me that has loved poker and been very interested in the game and its subculture and its world that hasn't had a whole lot to do with my work-life situation for a decade plus. But this year became a really big part of my life again. And I got to discover like, oh, I have have things to add here. Like I have value I bring to the table as a producer director with my company and my work experience and and my vision and and my relationship building uh, abilities that we're doing something really special. And every week it's like new iterations, new opportunities, new growth. And I'm grateful for that. And I appreciate that I took risks at the beginning of this year by reaching out to people, taking some meetings, exploring some ideas, spending some time on some things and saying, I think there's something here. Let me just keep going in this direction. And now, you know, toward the end of the year that I feel extremely validated for that choice because of all that it has resulted in thus far. So I'm grateful for new relationships and I want to remind myself to stay open to the opportunities that can result in new relationships, even as a full-fledged adult. That's great. That's great. Relationships. There it is. That's cool. And, you know, like, yeah, 
I, I think, you know, project building creativity is, is such a collaborative thing. So to have like those, um, working relationships is like a really cool thing. I had there just before we recorded, there was somebody Hello. in this office who I was meeting with. Yeah. I actually delayed our recording because of it. One of these new relationships with someone who I would never otherwise know in my, yeah. in my life, except that we're connected by this thing and have yeah. an interest in trying to make something happen there. And that's cool. It's yeah. It's very exciting to me as someone who loves building things as an entrepreneurial creative, yeah. like it's what gets me up. Yeah. In the morning. And it's really been the theme of your year. It really has. Really has. Okay. Here we go. All right, Bordo. Good luck. I know. Is this going to be the last one, Keith, or do we have? Okay, this is going to be the last yeah, one. That was a no doubt about it. Yes, this wow. is it. Okay, I'm going to cut do it a off after blue this, guys. One. I bet we get listener complaints of like, do all of the. Okay, Keith is saying no. <laughs> that did it's not fine. move him at all. It's fine. Nope, not interested. Okay, mine is. What are you grateful for in terms of leadership? Oh, this year. Okay, this is my favorite. I before the answer is shared, I just want you to know that this is my favorite piece of paper. The leadership category is my the favorite one. Yeah, just, one. I don't know why. Not relationships. Is. No, no, no. You know Roller what skates. sucks is I wrote these. I came up with this game, and I'm like <laughs> leadership. Good lord. You know what? I will say. Um, what are you grateful for? <laughs> you know, I. <laughs> it, it's interesting. I bet a lot of people who listen to this podcast feel this in a way because at some point in our lives 10 bucks we have felt the call to do something a part of this community i think the listeners of this of this podcast have been they're engaged yeah you know in things that they care about in uh obviously bleeding disorders in the betterment of the community and pushing that through and so i <laughs> i bet everybody has been like this is this is something that we've all experienced. But I think in terms of leadership, I've been really grateful this year that I've had um, I think I've had the ability to uh, lay low for um, a certain amount of time in order to, I think, listen enough to be able to now this year, I think, kind of break through and um take a bit more ownership, as I use that word again, of my leadership. I think some of mm. that is um, uh, coupled with your, with the project that you mentioned, you know, it's been, um, it's been more of my job to assume some of the roles that you would naturally assume. I think like in our company, in, in our, um, in our visibility, I think mm. within the community and not overly so, but enough where it's been like this year has been, um, like a chance for me to be like, okay, this is, this is the thing, hmm. you know? And when I came here to believe, you know, I had a lot of experience in, you know, single organizational leadership of that's own, its own little bag. But here, um, it's been, it's been different. And I've been, um, very, I think on purpose, like not, I'm not, I'm not a patient, you know, I'm definitely a community member and I'm definitely, you know, a community voice, but You're I'm a not patient a patient in other respects. I'm a patient in other respects, but I think I've been aware of like our dynamic and this year it's been really nice to like take that leadership, you know, up a notch and, you know, be able to, um, you know, do, do things at, 
you know, the BDC, moderate some things at the BDC, be, be a voice in some of those things. Um, so it's been, it's been nice. It's been good. I think here in the office too, there's been like a, um, a sense of leadership in terms of, um, you know, like staff development, staff, you know, cultivation, those types of things. That's always super fun. Um, for me, I like that. I like, I like our staff. I like making them feel like heard and seen, Mm -hmm. like the work that you've done is important because the work that we do at Believe it is truly important. I I, I believe it's unique and it's, it's fun and it's entertaining to, um, populations that don't get fun and entertaining education and awareness and things. So anyway, it's been like a good year, a good leadership year. And I have observed your leadership as it relates to what you're saying about staff and and making sure they feel heard and accounted for and understand how the work they're putting in is resulting in impact. And, and, you know, I, I witness things I'm around and, um, it's nice to see. And for me as a, as a colleague, you know, I don't really think of myself as your boss. I don't think I'm your boss, but as your colleague, um, and as one of the co-founders of Believe Limited, I better put, um, it gives me a lot of confidence because human beings aren't scalable. So the only way this thing grows is with more and more people who yeah. come in, who take ownership, who, take ownership. who invest in it, who yeah. care about it, who work hard at trying to make what we do even better. Um, that's the only way it grows because humans aren't scalable. So when I see that happen, when I see that kind of leadership, makes me feel good because I know we're growing. That's what it to me I say I see growth when I see like interactions yes. the likes of which you're describing yeah. I see growth. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. That was fun. That was so fun. Let I mean we're we're not going to do them all but maybe we'll do bonus content. Oh, bonus the, content. JK. Bonus con- Don't no. tease me with bonus content. I know. Well, JK. Thanks Keith for the, is Matt. Thanks for the game. <laughs> Happy Thanksgiving. Happy Thanksgiving. I'm grateful for you, PJL. I'm grateful for the work that Believe Limited does. This is great. And I'm grateful for y'all listeners. Um, Honestly, this community has been one of the best things that has ever happened in my life. And, you know, it's because of, you know, the passion, I think, of of folks and just the familiar, like, just the the family atmosphere, I guess. It's just... It's very special to me. And you know what I liked seeing? I like the way that as we do more and more work in other rare disease communities and as more and more rare disease communities see drugs move through clinical trials, become commercialized and available as there are more budgets to support programs and experiences for these communities, I know that we can bring what we've been doing for the past 11 years to all of these other communities. And we've been seeing it happen more and more every single year as we add communities to those that we serve mm-hmm. because creating the the kind of community and energy and commitment, uh, especially in those areas that are, they're, they're rare diseases. These are small pockets and often siloed. It is just so impactful. It is so important. Yeah. And, you know, I'm not a patient with thalassemia, but I can carry my patient experiences from hemophilia into thalassemia the same way you can carry your patient experiences and your leadership experiences and your advocacy experiences and your storytelling. So we have so much more to offer. Mm. And I think maybe to button the, the gratitude segment here, I am grateful that moving into 2024, our opportunities to do what we do for more and more people yeah. You know, to see that like twinkle behind a parent's eye in a new community, Ew. right? To hear, to see some kid meet like another kid with the same thing at a workshop mm. that we're running. Yes. Like, 
I'm grateful that we have a lot more of that to come. Yeah, me too. Best thing ever. Let's move on to I'm Fine. Um, This segment, I think... um, Is next. (laughs) I was going to say it sounds incredible, but it is also next. Yeah, well, it's both both true, both true. (laughs) Y'all, I'm Fine aims to challenge the entrenched ideas around chronic resiliency and satisfaction with suboptimal outcomes by inspiring people with hemophilia to seek education and truly consider the possibilities. Truly. Sanofi seeks to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community, take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia and an important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities at levelsmatter.com. Now on to I'm Fine and the Dark Side of Resilience. This is all I've ever known. Is that even possible for me? I don't want to miss anything. I don't need that. I don't want to acknowledge my pain. Fine. I don't want to get poked with needles. I don't don't want that. that. There's nothing wrong. I'm fine. 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 fine. Welcome back to I'm Fine, a podcast segment where we deep dive into what those two words really mean especially when it comes to living with hemophilia. Today, we're exploring a rarely discussed aspect, the dark side of resilience. Sounds exciting. I can take it. I can take it. Ah, I can take it. That's a phrase that many of us with hemophilia have grown up saying. I can take it. It's the armor we wear. Ah, I can take it. Resilience. It's a badge of honor, right? But let's pause and think about it. Is it always a good thing? Growing up resilient because of hemophilia can sometimes lead to a dangerous misbelief. We start to think that pain, isolation, and stigma are normal or okay. But here's the thing. Just because we can endure does not mean we should. Imagine constantly battling through some level of pain or challenge. It's exhausting, isn't it? The physical and mental toll. It's real. We need to ask ourselves, could there be a path that makes life just a little bit easier? Is there a space where resilience can be balanced? I know for me, I've experienced many of these things in my life from a very young age, knowing that pain in my ankle, pain in my body was simply going to be there. And if I wanted to participate in life, I was going to need to get used to saying, I'm fine. Now as an adult, I have a different perspective and I can deconstruct this idea, but I'm also left to wonder how many other patients around the world are experiencing this I'm fine mindset in quite the same way. For example, is it the same for a person with hemophilia who lives in Kenya as it is for me, where medication and access to services are not nearly what they are here? Are those patients experiencing the same sorts of challenges with this resilient mindset? Or is it just absolutely necessary given their circumstances? To help us dive into this part of the dark side of resilience, I am joined by my colleague and friend, Rob Bradford, who is just back from a content capture trip around the world where he had a chance to meet with community members and speak to them amongst other things about this very topic. Mr. Rob Bradford, Thank you for joining me. 
How do you see the role of resilience play out on these trips like the one that you've just been on? What does resilience look like when you're with community around the world? You know, I've been lucky enough to travel around the world, I believe, to probably 25 or so countries at this point. And um, I'd say resilience is what I primarily see everywhere. Um, you know, it manifests itself in different forms. Everybody's got a different story and and people in certain countries are dealing with different things. But um uh, you know, I I see it everywhere. I see people just trying to not just survive with hemophilia, but thrive with it. You know, no one wants to just be getting by. Everyone wants to be living a better life. And um, I'm grateful to say that I've seen that everywhere and it's been pretty consistent. What about for you personally, Rob, when it comes to resilience, what do you think about? How does the role of resilience play out in your life? I mean, um, I'd like to think I'm pretty resilient. Uh, you know, I, Thankfully, I think it comes to me pretty naturally, especially when I'm doing something that I love. I, I love the work I get to do here at Believe. I love the stories we get to tell. I love the advocacy that we get to do here. And so I think the resilience is just kind of a byproduct of pursuing something you love. And um, it comes out all the time. I mean, we were just in Egypt and, uh, you know, given the tensions with the war and everything going on there, it was a nonstop obstacle party uh, government trying to get in our way at every possible point, um, you know, in theory for our safety and everything. But um, we pushed through. Our crew was great. We uh, put on our patient hats and, uh, you know, we, we trucked on. Um, it's hard to compare with some of the resilient stories that we were getting to share. But, you know, that was just one of the things we didn't sit in on our laurels and complain about it. You know, we just kind of got on with the job and, and, and made it happen. Rob, last question on this for now. Again, based on the experiences that you've had, not just this year, but for the past decade, traveling around the world, meeting community members in all sorts of circumstances. In your mind, what's the greatest misconception as it relates to resilience in the hemophilia community? Hmm. Uh, possibly that I think that we might be viewing things differently. I think sometimes when you think about people with resilience uh, in the developing world, for example, um, you think, oh, well, you know, they won't, they're probably not dealing with it with the same way that someone here is and that um, they might not be uh, struggling with the dark side of it as much as, as you guys were mentioning before. But I think um, like, for example, you know, I, I met this guy in Senegal who was, awesome. He's a young kid. He, um, he lives in a village that's really, really remote. It's about 200 people. And, uh, he just has a farm with his dad and, um, they're struggling with a lot of stuff like water access and some just basic, basic needs to run this farm. And the community there is just living on very, very, very low means. And this kid is, uh, you know, not only has to, if he's getting a bleed, for example, has to ride on a horse to the nearest hospital to get treatment. But he uh, has got himself into school for economy, specifically for agriculture and economy, and has got all these business plans to really capitalize on his dad's farm. And, you know, they've gone into business together and he's trying to make it as big as he can and bring more income into his uh, village so that they can get better water access and all these different things. And, you know, you talk about resilience, like that guy was super inspiring. And I think, you know, it's easy to kind of think, oh, well, yeah, he's got like a really positive attitude and positive mindset. I'm sure he doesn't want to be dealing with any of these things. I'm sure that guy would love to not have any of those problems at all. Um, and so I'm sure he feels, you know, both sides of that, uh, just as everybody else does. 
Rob, thank you so much for joining us. Rob Bradford, COO of Believe Limited, an international production maestro. Thank you, sir. Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels, a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rareblooddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. Remember, resilience is not just about how much can you bear. It's about knowing when to seek help. It's about knowing when to slow down, to take a rest. It's about knowing when to say, this is too much. And it's about knowing when to look for a better way forward. So to all my fellow blood brothers and blood sisters out there around the world battling hemophilia with incredible strength, let's remember, resilience is a tool, not a mandate. It is okay to lower your shield sometimes and say, I need a different approach. Thanks for joining me on today's episode. And whether you're learning to balance your resilience or seeking new ways to manage your journey, remember you are not alone. Subscribe to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen to podcasts, and we'll be back with more insights and conversations on the next episode. Take care of yourself and keep redefining what it means to say I'm fine. Thank you, PJL. Thank you, Rob. I loved that segment. Y'all, Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rarebloodisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. So, Amy, I met Olav now probably two years ago when he first reached out to me to let me know about the research work that he was doing in hemophilia and quality of life and just was like fascinating. He was a fountain. The first meeting with him was drinking yes. out of a water hose. Uh, <laughs> what a <laughs> I was like, I don't know analogy. what to do with all of this, but you are awesome. Yes. Uh, and this was a perfect opportunity to bring him into the wheelhouse of Bloodstream Podcast yes. and introduce him to our audience. So, uh, folks, this is our Elite Athletes segment, the mm. companion, companion podcast segment to our Redefining Impossible documentary, which you can find at Elite Athletes with Hemophilia. Com. That film and this segment are supported by Sanofi, who seeks to expand the idea of what's possible for the hemophilia community. Take a deeper look at the science behind hemophilia and an important connection between factor activity levels and potential activities at levelsmatter.com. And now, on to Olav. They were told they couldn't do it, that they should hang up their dreams, stick to the sidelines, stay safe. Yet in the face of adversity, some individuals rise, forging paths where others see dead ends. Welcome to Redefining Impossible, the podcast, where we celebrate the resilience and ambition of elite athletes with hemophilia. We pull back the curtain to give you the raw, real, and untold stories, showcasing not only their athletic prowess, but also their indomitable spirit. Today, we shine a spotlight on someone exceptional. Not an athlete, but an individual whose work deeply resonates with their aspirations. Hemophilia severity is determined by factor activity levels. 
a measurement of how much factor you have in your blood at the time of diagnosis. The more factor you have in your body over time, the better your bleed protection is, which is why many people with hemophilia choose to treat prophylactically. Your doctor can perform measurements to evaluate the factor activity levels in your blood. Learn more about the importance of factor activity levels by talking to your doctor and visiting levelsmatter.com. So hi, my name is Oliver Sloot. I'm a, um, a PhD. I've got a PhD uh, deserved uh, earlier this year with a study on um, uh, sports participation and sports injuries in people with hemophilia, which I think is, uh, was a great topic to look at because it was a real clinical question and we tried to answer and I think we got quite some way. And uh, at the moment, I'm a um, university teacher and course coordinator in physiotherapy in Utrecht in the Netherlands. The world of sports for those with hemophilia has transformed over the years. Historically, it was completely forbidden. They couldn't even look at the ball without being uh, bullied by their doctors. And, and slowly but surely, from the early 80s, we saw a shift where um, the hematologist would allow swimming and walking and maybe cycling if he was very progressive. But then when the um, prophylactic treatment regimens came into place, that's when people noticed that they were getting healthier and that they were having less bleeds and they were more um, more open and more interested in being more physically active. But the question persisted. The question came from parents and from patients. So he wants to do it so badly. Why can't we let him try? And uh, actually, it was one of the things that I liked about your interview with David Quinn. And he said, let, give him a chance. Let them try and let them figure out whether they can do this or not. I think that's the same thing in people with hemophilia. And within the real performance side, we had um, a professional cyclist with severe hemophilia A. And that was unthinkable until I think 10 years ago, 10, 12 years ago. That was absolutely unthinkable. Um, and he did quite well over the past few years with winning some stages in, in the Giro and winning, what was it, the great Great Britain time trial champion. So that, that's something we've seen. But while stories emerge, safety remains paramount. Concerning the bleeds, your first, last and only line of defense um, is are your prophylactic levels in your blood at the time of injury. And that's something we showed in, our, uh, in my thesis, that uh, as long as it's over 10%, you're good. Then bleeding risk drops by uh, at least 50% uh, compared to very low levels. So as long as you take your prophylactic uh, medication within 12 hours um, of your sporting activity, you should be fine. And while physical boundaries are being pushed, psychological challenges persist. The biggest challenge is to get those not active um, become active. And again, that's exactly the same in the general population. There's also about two thirds, 60, 70%, somewhere in between um, that are regularly active and to get that last 30% uh, to become active. And I think one of the strategies that my coworkers have been using uh, was motivational interviewing. And then mainly from a perspective from the patient, what do you want to achieve? I'm not going to tell you you have to ride your bike three times a day or take the stairs instead of the elephant. No, what do you want to achieve and how are you gonna make that? And um, that worked quite well in a lot of people. As we move forward, the horizon for athletes with hemophilia looks promising. We've got um, the Hemlibra, which was introduced, which is long-acting uh, subcutaneous medication. 
which could uh, change a lot. Um, and uh, obviously there's gene therapy coming up. So uh, especially in hemophilia B, uh, there's been some quite successful trials. And uh, it's, it's really a question on how will that develop and what will it mean for athletic performance. As we near the end of today's segment, let's reflect on what we've journeyed through. We've delved deep into the transformation of perspectives and the evolving landscape of sports for those with hemophilia. From times of caution and restriction to now, when we see them conquering athletic feats once thought impossible. I think it's very important to realize that everything I say only applies to those on prophylactic treatment. Um, so it's quite limited to, let's say, Western Europe and North America, because the rest of the world um, doesn't have the resources or the funds that we have in these countries to provide uh, lifelong prophylactic treatment. So uh, in that sense, these guys are relatively lucky because there's uh, excellent treatment and because of that excellent treatment, there's a lot more possible than let's say their, for their parents or even their grandparents who sometimes didn't even went to school. From challenging the long-held beliefs and norms to continuously pushing the boundaries of what's achievable, the story of athletes with hemophilia is truly an inspiration. It's a testament to the human spirit's resilience and the relentless quest to redefine what we once thought was impossible. Until next time, thank you for joining us on this episode of Redefining Impossible, the podcast. Don't forget to watch the film Redefining Impossible for free at EliteAthletesWithHemophilia.com. And thanks once again to Sanofi for sponsoring this segment. I'm Keith Korneluk, and I'll talk to you next month on Redefining Impossible, the podcast, only on Bloodstream. Sanofi aims to raise the bar for patients living with hemophilia. Reimagine what's possible by visiting rareblooddisorders.com to hear more about Sanofi's dedication to the bleeding disorders community. Okay, Olav, Rob Bradford, Bloodstream Team Believe Limited. Thank you for the work on today's episode, which of course would not be possible without our presenting sponsor, Takeda. Takeda. Visit bleedingdisorders.com to learn more. And thanks as well to Sanofi for supporting the I'm Fine and Elite Athletes segments and visit levelsmatter.com to learn more from them. Amy Board, yes. Bloodstream has two episodes left in its 2023 calendar, the next being on December 8th. What can listeners expect to hear? Well, we're going to be talking about aging with hemophilia. Okay. We're all aging. And Every, I with hemophilia. Let me so tell you something. I will show up to that one. flipping aging. <laughs> Did you have an appointment recently or something? <laughs> no, it's just, you know, it's very, it's just very evident. Anyway, aging with hemophilia, babies. All right. Well, there you go. December 8th. Uh, <laughs> make sure that you are subscribed to the Bloodstream Podcast wherever you listen to have the next episode delivered to you the moment it goes live. And with that, that is all for this episode. Hey, loyal listeners, as always, mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. It's that email address. <laughs> it is that email address. That I can't say without reading it on my script. It's okay. It's only been a few years. It's so. been like four years. Yeah, we've never changed it. Not one time. It's fine. But email us there at mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. That's real. Those aren't, if you're listening in audio only, you're missing Amy's constantly <laughs> looking back to her script. It is real. It is not for show. I can't begin to tell you how many redos I've had to do of that <laughs> email address. That email. <laughs> 
But anyway, please email us. We, you, we worked like, so hard to say yeah. it. I mean, just get, throw us a bone. Anyway, find us on social media, all the things, all the things. You know, if like your Santa Christmas list, if you're like, where else can I send this just to make sure it makes it to the North Pole? Listen, it doesn't hurt to just send a copy to mailbag at bloodstreammedia.com. Yes, every episode we tell you guys to send us stuff and you don't. Yeah, so, well, not always they don't, but like well, not nearly as true. much as we would like. That's true. Just uh, random thoughts. Yeah, anything. We'll take it. I mean, you've come on. You know what the show's about. We'll take anything. <laughs> I am your host, Patrick James Lynch. Leadership. <laughs> and I'm your other host, Amy Bourne. And until next time, take self-care of yourself. And I am grateful for you, listener. No! Thank you. And bye-bye. Bye. You know that I, I told that uh, I don't want to stay on parade, but I've bleeping want to stay on parade. This is the best. <laughs>